Well, uh, welcome. My name's Mark. Lovely to see you all. If you're here and you don't normally come to church, you've got the lucky annual give us your money talk. I'm joking. Sort of. Um, let me just say, uh, firstly, this it, it's, it's a joke, it's not true, but the end of financial year is a trigger for all of us to think about finances, isn't it? Mostly for me, it's a trigger to go, gosh, I'd better get my 2018-19 tax done. Um, uh, but it's a trigger to think about money. And, and it's not like we need a trigger, really, because most of us think about money a lot, don't we? I know I do. I don't just, not just at tax time. Uh, the question, the most important question you and I will ever face with regard to our money is whose advice are we going to take about our attitude to money and what we do with it? Like, who are you going to listen to? Right? And you go, well, sure, I've, can you give me advice on a good financial advisor? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Who do you think I'm going to suggest? Me. No, 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 not at all. Well, like so much in life, it's kind of binary, right? So the most important question is, you know, who will you listen to about? And there's only two options. One option is, and is that you're going to listen to Jesus. And the other option is you're going to listen to, well, fill in the blank, your parents, the media, the capitalist overlords who control you from your vaccines and your social media or whatever, um, clergy, yourself, your accountant, your financial advisor. Now, at a micro level, for sure, it's great to get good financial advice from someone who's not in a multi-level marketing scheme and uh, someone who you trust. But what I've observed in my own heart over many, many years, before I get to talk to an accountant or a stockbroker or an insolvency expert or the parish council, or the wardens, or the bishop, or anyone else about money for myself or the church, I have to say, actually, am I really listening to Jesus first? And this is where it gets super practical, because here's how, for a lot of us, and I'm not saying you, because you may be far more spiritually attuned than me, a lot of us think of Jesus as uh, he's kind of good on the spiritual stuff, right? Like he's kind of, he's nailed the God stuff, but often we don't think he's that smart when it comes to the practicalities of life, like money. And the reason I say we don't think he's that smart is what? Why do, if you were to look at me, Mark, you would, and, and, and I would ask you, why do you think that I think that Jesus isn't that smart when it comes to money? What, do you, what would you say? 
he didn't end up with a lot? Because I don't do what he says a lot of the time. So why don't I do what he says? Because I think he's not that smart. Why don't I think he's that smart? Because, I, well, I either think he's not that smart or he wants to make me miserable. This is, how, uh, this is an illustration that I got from Tim Keller, who got from a preacher called Sinclair Ferguson. He says, this is how we often think about God. Imagine a dad takes his little five-year-old kid to a toy store, like a, you know, New York City, one of the big toy stores. I can't remember what they're called. Or London, the one with the big piano, and you go up there, and it's all very cute. And You, know, you take your kid to a toy store, and you take your five-year-old, and the kid's eyes are wide, and, they go, and the dad goes, well, what do you think about this? And the kid goes, oh, it's fantastic. And goes to the next one, what do you think? Oh, it's beautiful. And they go all around the store all morning looking at stuff. And they, and they get to the exit and um, the kid says to the dad, can I have something? And the dad goes, no, it storms out. We think easily that God is there to withhold from us, to show us all this beautiful stuff that will make us really, really, really happy, and then to say we can have none of it. So I don't, you know, we, we as a church need money to keep the doors open and, and do ministry and to, to reach a city with the love of God for sure. And as Pete said, there's some cash flow challenges. But I'm not that interested in our cash flow, to be honest. Sorry, wardens. And, and I know you aren't either. I'm only secondarily interested in, my cash, in our cash flow. Primarily what I'm interested in is my heart. And your hearts. And who are we trusting? And, and what, what actually do we think about Jesus? Do we think he's the smartest human being who ever lived, who because he is God, understands how the world truly works and how we really work? And do we think he's both the smartest person in the world and the person who loves us and only ever wants what's best for us? So when he tells us how we should manage our money... If we follow him, that is the path to true happiness, true joy, true life. That's the question. I would say for an awful lot of the church in the Western world, and I put myself squarely in this, and I don't say this with any, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I don't want to make you feel ashamed. I don't want to make you feel anything. I just, and, and I acknowledge it's, it is complicated and, and we don't have a lot of time. And I, we could talk for hours about the complexity of money and wealth and providing for yourself and doing all of that, providing for your family. The Bible's clear. That's a good thing. The Bible's not anti-wealth creation. But at the end of the day, you read like this parable that we had here and you go, oh, I feel like I have very little value to add to this. <laughs> I was very tempted just to, I'm um, pretty tempted to do this now really, to stand up and go, I'll come back and talk to you when we're all taking this seriously because Jesus is quite a good teacher. Look what he says. I mean... Someone says, hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So there's a family squabbling about money. Gee, that never happens, does it? I mean, no one ever fights about money, uh, certainly in my family. Well, they don't now. They're all dead. Um, before my family died, relentless, constant. 
families, marriages. You speak to anyone who's gone through the family courts. It's fighting about money, business partners, churches, businesses, partnership meetings where you discuss the bonuses in your law firm or your bank. I mean, just fighting, 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 fighting. And the guy comes and says, Jesus, you know, won't you be on my side and help me get my fair share? And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. But here's what I'm going to say to you. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Why? Because there's something in our hearts, you see, that, that is that, something in our, in our souls that is never satisfied. We always want more, don't we? And it's all kind, it's not just financial greed. When you look at the, the original language, he's saying there is this inner dynamic that drives us to never be content, never be satisfied. And, and you've got to watch it because greed is when your desire for more actually just grows up kind of unnoticed and suddenly starts to control you. So it can be a greed for money, but it can be a greed for health. You know, people become, and how do you know if you become greedy for health? Well, when you're obsessed about your own health, when that's all you talk about, that's what you think about. You can become greedy for your good name, where, where suddenly, you, you didn't realize this, but suddenly you realize what other people think of you actually is starting to control you and drive you. And, and, you're, and there's, a, there's a graspingness in your soul in my soul, and, and it grows up. And, and Jesus says, be, be on your guard because when greed controls you, you're on the path to misery and to death because you become selfish. And, and you know what you discover with greed? What do you discover with greed? Nothing is ever enough for a greedy person. Now, as an aside, why is that true spiritually? How do we give an account for that? Well, the real answer why nothing in this world is ever enough and greed grows in our hearts is because, friends, we're made for eternity. There is a, there is a part of us, a spiritual part of us, that is made for an infinite God, the infinite goodness and glory of God and of the world to come, and nothing in this world will ever satisfy so they will, will always sense that there's not enough here. The obvious, easy, and most regular place that greed erupts is in the pursuit of possessions of money. And Jesus says this, and um, to the extent that I have made wise financial decisions over the course of my life, it's because I actually believe this. Long before minimalism became a thing, Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What does he mean by that? Obviously, he doesn't mean just breathing and living. He says, life, what will make you truly happy? What will bring about the flourishing of your full humanity? It's not going to come through having a lot of stuff. Oh, Lord, if only our culture understood that. Now, of course... Uh, Jesus was speaking 2,000 years ago to a, a, a community where supply of possessions was massively constrained. Like there wasn't much surplus of any level. Most people lived 
um, one failed harvest away from starvation. We live in a culture where over the last 200 years our capacity to make stuff has gone up exponentially. We, are, we, we have this capacity to create surplus that is unheard of, unimaginably wealthier than any other community, any other people that have ever existed in the world. Like we just, there is so much stuff. You and I live better lives than the richest person alive would have lived 100 years ago. Do you know that? Certainly 120 years ago. We are richer, we are healthier, we are fatter, we are <laughs> better fed. We're like everything on every... But do you think we really believe this from Jesus? The more we have, the more we feel like we don't have and the more we pursue and the more we chase. So all I want you to do today is just stop and well, I want you to do a bunch of things. But right now, stop and breathe and go, my life, my wholeness, my identity, my value, my purpose, my worth does not consist in what I have. Of course, in Sydney, what's the main thing that, what's the main possession that we believe our life consists in? It's our real estate. We, 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 we give our lives, we spend the best part of our lives, we sacrifice our health, we worry, we stress, we work, we panic because we think that if we get this, then life will work for us. Now for sure, it's great to live in Belmain, it's great to live in Roselle. If you're in a place where you've paid off your mortgage, fantastic, praise God. But if you never own a house and you live on minimum wage or you live in a refugee camp like 25 million people in the world today do, you are no less alive to God, no less worthwhile. I know, you know, makes, uh, for whatever reason, when I was growing up, I experienced both sides of the coin. Living in Africa, growing up in my own family, there were times when there was very little money and many, and, and my mum always had a heart as a doctor for working with the poor. And so I grew up, you saw people in very real poverty. And then another part of my family was very, very wealthy. Um, and we would stay with them on holidays and ride their polo ponies down at the bottom of their backyard. They had a stables and a paddock in the city of Johannesburg. You ride polo ponies and private planes. And, and I just realized all that stuff doesn't change. I, I remember this vividly as a, I don't know, like a 12-year-old. All that stuff doesn't change how miserable or happy you are inside all the stuff didn't stop me then spending the rest of my life fighting a spiritual battle not to want what they had materially even though I knew it and I learned that lesson then I became a follower of Jesus and I learned it again and again and again and again and again I don't want to think I don't want you to think for a moment and I'm sure you don't that I'm standing here like well I've got it all together because I live a perfectly ascetic life in a blacket mansion in Roselle albeit owned by the church it's complicated and it's hard, but this is the start of the spiritual battle. Your life, dear friends, and the life of your kids, 
Like if you're raising kids, let me tell you how much anxiety there is in people's parenting around the kind of lifestyle that kids or their grandkids are going to be able to have. You know, we all want our kids to be in the gifted and talented class. Why? Because we live in a knowledge economy. So if you're smart, you could make a lot of money and then you'll have life. No, no, no. Spiritually, if Jesus is smart and he loves you, you've got to believe this. And then he goes on and he tells them a parable. And it's such a brilliant parable. I can't add any value to it. So here's the thing. Just read it again. Because well, I'm looking out here. Some of you have given up on building bigger barns. But I reckon most of us, it's what the financial planners say. We're in the accumulation phase. Just building bigger barns. You're like, well, you know, I've made money and it's been good and, and I've got to keep going, I've got to keep going, I've got to keep going, I've got to, I've got to be bigger and I'm going to store my surplus grain. This guy was seriously rich back in the day, right? And he goes, I've got there, I've lived for my retirement, I've made it. Oh, by the way, we can have another discussion in time about retirement. Mm. This idea that in, we, we need to save up so much surplus that for 40 years we don't have to work. It, it seems strange and it's complicated and, and hard to think about. He says, this is what I do. I've made all this money, so now I'm going to take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says, that's a really dumb way to live. That's dumb because you're not in control of your life and that very night it's going to go. Everything will be gone from you. You're going to die. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You've spent your life trying to make a life based on the abundance of your possessions and then you die, which is an utter inevitability. And then what benefit is all the stuff that you've got? Because Jesus says what really matters is not storing up money for ourselves now. And again, fed by greed, driven by a heart that says, I need more, I need more, I need more, and it's all about myself. But you're not rich toward God. Answer. Lots of people are very anxious about dying, aren't they? We never know when it's going to happen. But we need to live with a sure knowledge that it will. And that puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? I mean, what's the benefit of all the money that you've got? And of course, you'd say, well, so I can create family capital and my kids can buy a place in Sydney. And you go, well, then they're just going to die. And then they're just going to die. And then they're just going to die. Now, the, it's not a problem. You can have money. The question is, who are you rich towards? Towards yourself? Or are you rich towards God? Now, because you see, when you die, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Like, that, that all stays. That's an inevitability that you will, you know, naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave it. Like, you, you didn't bring anything in. You're not going to take anything out. So, let's, no, that's it. But when you die, you go face to face with your God, your creator. And, and according to Jesus, we have to give an account of our lives. And we have to store up treasures in heaven. So what does that mean? How, do you, how are you rich towards God? Well, 
That's a good question. Come back next week to find the answer. Now, how, how are you rich towards God? Well, you, you change your heart and you say, what everything that I have comes from God and with everything that I have, I want to invest money now in the things that God cares about that are on God's heart and that make God happy. So, so don't worry about you. So, so, uh, so that's, that's it. Be rich towards God. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, at the very least, it says, you know, we're not, we, we have to give a chunk of our money away to serve the poor. Like, you know, like really, if, if people are living in poverty and we're living in extraordinary wealth, um, being rich towards God means taking very, very, very seriously the uh, demands that the poor put on us, that people who are poor, who are living in absolute poverty, make on us. Now, I mean, one of the wonderful things is there are far fewer poor people as a percentage now of humanity than there ever have been. But there's still a lot of very poor people, and poverty takes many forms. So if we take Jesus seriously, we're going to take the claims of the poor upon our wallets very seriously. And of course, the good news over 2,000 years is that's exactly what happened. All the data in Australia shows that followers of Jesus are far more generous financially than uh, people who aren't. And, and I know many of you reasonably well, and I know many of you and many of us are very generous. It means we're going to be very generous towards uh, funding, putting our money to fund things like this church that help people connect with God. That's how we're rich towards God. <coughs> Thanks, Byron. Can see. Um, that if establishing a spiritual connection with God is like the most important thing that can happen to any one of us, then investing our money in that is actually how we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. You're a champion. Thank you. Ten bucks. Yeah, ten bucks. Thanks. <laughs> Your reward will be in heaven or not. So, but of course, I could stand up this morning and say to you, here's the, how the economy, if you store, if you give money to Jesus, You'll get richer now. There's a, there's a, this gets taught sometimes, right? Like we go, hey, we've got a sweet deal for you. Give money to the church, and, uh, and you, if you're rich towards God, he will bless you. If your business is in trouble, give some more money to the church, and uh, you, your business will get out of trouble. You, you can hear that taught. That's not entirely true. Typically, when you give money away, what I have noticed is when I give money away, I have less money in my bank account. And the more I give, the less there is in my bank account. That's the way it works, right? And Jesus knows that because right after this, he says, here's the thing that's going to stop you being rich towards God. You're going to worry about not having enough. You're going to worry about providing for yourself. And he says, don't worry about it. That's, he's a great teacher. He knows our hearts. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. 
What? Impossible. And then he says, just look at the ravens. Look at how God provides for them. And how much more valuable are you than they? And then, I mean, so insightful. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very thing, why do you worry about the rest? You know what he's saying there? You can't secure your financial future anyway. So, so you, you can't, you're not God. You, you think you can, and, and sitting here this morning, you have the illusion as I'm looking at you that you're in control of what will happen with your life and what will happen with your money. You are only one blocked artery away from being in a long-term vegetative state and losing every ability that you have to earn an income and provide for your family. That's it, right? You're only one bad deal away from your business going bankrupt. You think about your kids. I, I remember this vividly. Uh, next door, we, had, we lived in a townhouse in Melbourne many years ago in Hawthorne, and our neighbor was a, was a young adult who was about 30 years old who had been this, the head boy at one of the big private Catholic schools in Melbourne. He was on track to play for the AFL, strapping guy from a big Catholic family, wonderful guy. One afternoon after school, he's standing at a bus stop. A car comes in the wet, loses control, hits him, and he has an acquired head injury. And just like that, just like that, his capacity to ever earn anything to provide for himself goes. He's not in control. You're not in control. We think we are. We like to play God, but we're terribly vulnerable. We're terribly fragile. Jesus knows that. And he says, listen, you can't add an hour to your life. So you know what? Just trust God because he loves you and he's powerful and he cares for you. And if you trust God, he will provide for you. Don't worry about the rest. And then he goes on, and he says, so what does it mean? Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. I mean, the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows you need them. You see, God knows what we need. Oh, by the way, he also, of course, knows what you want. But like a good parent, he's not inclined to always give you what you want. But he'll give you what you need. He'll give you what you need. And then what should you and I do? We'll seek first his kingdom. That is, stop today and say, Lord, more than anything else, I want to live for you. I want to, and, and what does living for his kingdom mean? It means I want to live in such a way that this world looks a bit more like heaven than like hell. I want to live in such a way that more and more and more people in this world are connected to God deeply to know forgiveness and life and healing. I want to live in this world in such a way that um, modern-day slavery is not a thing. That no one lives in slavery anymore. 42 million people live in some form of slavery. That shouldn't be. So I want to live, I want to seek those things. I want to live in a world where a gender-based violence is not a thing. I want to live in a world where, you know, where no one is homeless when other people have three or four homes. That seems like that'd be a good world. I want to live in a way that this world is a little more like heaven.
Now, specifically what that means is um, you need to figure that out with you and God and deeply honest with people around you. There's no simple formulas. There's no give this amount. There's no do this, do that. It's like, Lord, this has got to be the state of my heart. And if I approach everything with my heart like this, with relentless, ruthless honesty and regular repentance, then I can start to move in this direction. And then what you discover is you stop worrying and, uh, and you'll end up poorer than you are. Uh, you, I can almost guarantee it. Not, not totally, because God does still bless us remarkably. Um, but I figure that if you, if you set out to seek first the kingdom of God, you'll embark upon a life of intentionally lowering your standard of living so that in, you can increase your standard of giving. That's the Christian way. Uh, we should all live below what we could because we want to, you know, seek first God's kingdom. I just think that's the way it is. So we'll all be poorer in a worldly sense. But we'll all be much richer towards God. And there'll be like thousands of people in heaven with us because of the money we've invested in this ministry. And there'll be people freed from slavery because of the money we give. And there'll be people lifted out of poverty because of the money we give. And how much better is that than, I don't know, that extra overseas holiday? Or the extra 50 grand you can give to your kids towards their deposit on their house? Or whatever it is. So let's pray. Lord God, um, help us to trust you that you know what you're talking about. Uh, help me to trust you. I, this, this is hard. Jesus, this is where the rubber hits the road for me, for, for, for us. Keep us ruthlessly, relentlessly honest about our own greed, the way it creeps up on us. Help us to relentlessly face how much we tend to want to live for ourselves and that, that, uh, that our greed um, it starts to control us and drive us. Help us to face how silly our, our illusions of control over this world really are. And knowing all of this, help us to take what you've got to say really seriously this morning, Jesus, that, um, that if, we, if we're rich towards God and if we seek his kingdom first, then everything else falls into place. And we ask this in your name. Amen.